already in trouble. <laughs> well, we... <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Are we ready? Sing Red the Pod, episode 71, where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm Stephanie, and here with me today, finally in 2022, are April and Melody. Welcome, ladies. Happy first pod of the year, April. You missed me, didn't you? You did miss you. Can you hear my sexy voice? Tell us about your sexy voice. I know you're trying to be polite with my health, but yes, I caught the COVID. Listeners, it's coming for you. You cannot wait. No, I'm serious. You cannot wait. You cannot wait to wear your N95s or your KN95s or double mask. You just can't. It's already here. You don't have time to wait for those to arrive in two weeks on via Amazon. You either pay for the overnight ship, well, the fast shipping, or you find a better mask now from a friend. <laughs> We're just staying. Home. And you need to buy your Dayquil, and you need to buy Nyquil, and you need to buy cough drops and Gatorade. Because if you're vaxxed, it is very much like a bad cold. But I'm, what, 12 days out now, and I still mm-hmm. have earaches and blowing my nose a lot and my sexy voice. But you yeah. know what I did? I don't know how well this works for Omicron, but when none of us were vaccinated yet and the COVID numbers were really high and we had the elections in the mm-hmm. general elections and it was November of 2020. Mm-hmm. I was an election worker in the basement of a church and, you know, almost a thousand people came through that basement and some of them were wearing masks. Many of them weren't. And so what I did that really worked was I wore, you know, cloth mask because that's, you know, kind of all I had. And then I put coffee filters in it, like the paper mm -hmm. coffee filters. Uh, and I just never drank a drink of water or anything in that little church basement. I went all the way outside to do that kind of business right. and I did not get COVID. Hey, I'm going to tell you my other secret. So if right? all you have are cloth masks, like maybe, you know, and you're waiting, like maybe, I don't know, try some coffee filters. I don't just, you got to up it because cloth masks don't work for Omicron. And get rapid tests on hand. Even if you have to go every day after work for four days before you find them, just keep looking because you're going to need it and then you're going to wish you had it. Um, they had we, we had a couple. That's the only reason we caught it. Mm-hmm. Tested high V. Yep, they do. They're starting to come back into the stores. But, so, you know, let me tell you. So you guys know I get the Sunday paper and I love it. Like the old lady that I am. <laughs> and I... Uh, So I'm reading my local paper here and I'm reading this piece about how some insurance companies are letting people buy a certain number of COVID tests every week or every month or whatever the case is. Like rapid over the counter, yeah. Yeah, and so they're saying um, they're free, but then in this article they're like, but, you know, just so you all know, like they're not really free because eventually health insurances are going to raise all of our rates because of increased healthcare costs. And the only reason they haven't done it yet 
and this is the part where it like made me sick. It said in 2020, insurance profits went up 41 percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's because disgusting. nobody was even going for their yep. like annual You're checkups. Right. You're right. And so and they were at 22 billion and they went up to 31 billion dollars in profits when people were in the hospital for months at a time with covid and healthcare companies profited and they still profited jeez that's so gross and they didn't give anybody like we didn't get discounts and insurance in 2021 they left all those rates the same gross well melody single payer healthcare now you have given us the perfect segue to our guests because I am fortunate enough that not only did my insurance rates not go up, I got better benefits this year mm-hmm. thanks to my union mm-hmm. negotiations. My benefits now include, um, of course, there's like telehealth stuff that's covered better than ever. Um, my mental health care is covered better than ever. Um, none of the co-pays went up. And I was able to switch to a limited network because I'm in Eastern Nebraska where there's lots of providers that I don't have to pay a deductible anymore. Fantastic. Like what would be happening if everybody had access to that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So our, our guests today want to talk about unionizing. I think that's a great segue. I love it. I love I it. Let's wait. talk about unionizing. Our guests today are Kathleen Dillon and Roz Kitchler. Roz and Kathleen are graduate workers at UNL and are on the steering committee of Unionize UNL and are trying to start a union of graduate workers at the university. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're happy to be here with you today. So, Cam, what can you guys tell us about the why behind uh, why you want to help the graduate students unionize? Well, hey, uh, you know, I think I can I can kick us off here, but Roz has been with the group a little while longer, so I'll be really happy to hear her thoughts as well. I think for me, one of the reasons I'm a part of this movement is I believe that every workplace needs a union. They need, you know, every workplace needs an independent body of workers who are uniting together to create the conditions they need to thrive and be successful. Every workplace needs one. I also have a history of leftist organizing from when I was back in Chicago. So when I moved uh, here to Lincoln to do PhD studies at UNL and I found out there was a, a movement to build a union, I knew I wanted to be a part of it. Uh, and I will say that while we're not at the step for the legal process yet, we are a union already because we are a body of workers who have come together uh, to show one another solidarity. So we are a union and it's really great to be a part of this movement. Tell me real quickly, why were you, why were you interested in, why do you think that everyone needs a union? That is also a very good follow-up question. You know, I, I believe that we are most successful when we're engaging in non-hierarchical structures, uh, when, you know, everyday working people are able to make the decisions um, that uh, affect their working conditions and their livelihoods and their life, right? 
Um, I think that's very healthy for us as human beings to uh, engage with one another and find alternatives to conflict and, and work through conflict with one another. Um, and things are just better for working people when working people make the decisions um, that affect their lives. I just think that's crucial, absolutely crucial. I think too, like anybody who's ever had to work through a complicated situation through HR probably inherently understands why you need a union. (laughs) Because the entire time you think, well, I don't, HR does this all day long. They're constantly working through complicated conversations. They constantly, and so they know how the system works. They know what you might ask for, and then they know how they might handle it. But it's, you probably are only going to go through one or maybe five, your whole career, something complicated. And so every time you have to go up through HR, you don't actually understand what is reasonable to ask for. You don't understand if what they're offering you is reasonable. Um, And if you engage a lawyer, now you have created a financial expense for yourself and it has become now a hostile experience between you and your workplace. And if you want to keep working there, uh, it's hostile because you brought in a lawyer, even though HR has lawyers that are on staff that they're working with, right? And so like, I think sometimes people don't think about that. Like if you had a union, you would go to your union that has lawyers and that would just be the normal protocol, just like what HR is doing on their side. But as a worker, you don't have anybody on your side of the fence to like go, hey, you know what, these, this is kind of a standard complicated workplace situation and these are your options. And mm-hmm. then everybody gets to know that instead of just the people who happen to have a friend in HR who coaches them along, you know, like everybody could have that. And I think people don't always understand that value of a union. Yeah, absolutely, Melody. I mean, I think it gets even more complex with graduate student workers because the university often oscillates between whether it wants to treat us as workers or whether it wants to treat us as students, depending on what's most convenient for the university. And so for that reason, um, when you have these issues, it's even harder for graduate student workers to have any control over their working conditions. So they might not even have, it might not have even occurred to them that they could talk to someone in charge and ask about changing their working conditions. To be fair, in many cases, again, for graduate workers, it's simply not an option. And so that is one of the things I think is most important about grad unions is grad students having some control over uh, their working conditions. And Mm -hmm. we've seen, right, why this is an issue, especially during COVID, that um, right when workers don't have control over their workplace, that they're oftentimes forced to work in conditions that are unsafe. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit you're both graduate workers. What is the reality of being a graduate worker at UNL right now? Like in terms of working, you know, what is the workload like? What are the biggest issues? What's the pay like? Like, let's tell our listeners. Well, hey, you know, I think for me, 
This is an important issue. We did some research over the summer to kick off our commitment drive, and we looked at the MIT cost of living calculator and the cost of living for a single person without kids in Lincoln, Nebraska is uh, $28,825, $28,825. And the average stipend at UNL, this may not include some summer work, but the average stipend stipend we calculated is $15,196. That's 13,000 less than the cost of living. I make about 17 and a half uh, K for, for my stipend. And frankly, that's high. Some people make as low as 10. So, you know, the reality here is that we're not making enough to pay all our bills, to eat well, Mm -hmm. to not be worrying about money while we're providing a vital service to the university. Uh, Here throughout the pandemic, I moved here fall of 2020. I have been teaching in person and so putting myself at risk uh, throughout this time, kind of left to my own devices to accommodate um, teaching hybrid, sometimes on Zoom, sometimes in person, uh, working with students who are out with COVID to keep them engaged and um, progressing throughout my course. Uh, And so it has been a whirlwind and coming, frankly, uh, in my position, coming from a career role uh, down to this stipend. uh, Yes, it has been a complete whirlwind since I got here. I've had a good time, met people like Roz, worked with the union, uh, but it's not easy for us grad workers out here. I have a question. Are graduate students who are teaching university classes, right? That's the workload often, right? You're like, you're teaching um, the lower level classes um, for freshmen, sophomore, that kind of thing. Are you paid for the classes you teach? Are you paid the same as adjuncts who teach those classes? Do you know, are those salaries similar or different? We are, I believe, paid technically slightly more than the adjuncts when you work it out per course. Um, So I believe adjuncts make just north of $3,000 a course. And so my stipend is just past $16,000. And in that time, I'll teach one course each semester. So that works out to about $8,000 a semester. So it is higher than adjuncts. uh, But at the same time, that stipend is also supposed to support graduate students um, while they're finishing their own work. So they're doing the work that's required to get a degree. So it's supposed to support you so that you're able to um, meet your needs in terms of uh, Uh, being able to pay for everything while you're focused on your education. And so that's where it becomes a problem is that this teaching labor um, is enormous or sometimes for some graduate students it's research labor. But the amount of labor expected of graduate students is enormous. And on top of the fact that this stipend was initially thought of as a way to write support graduate students through their education. And instead now it becomes compensation also for the work that they do, um, which again is, you know, not fairly compensated. I see. So it's, so really, is it, so are you saying it's like, um, you're not really being compensated for the classes you teach. That's part of your education is experience in the classroom. The stipend is really just like this is your cost of living while you're getting an education. So the labor, I mean, could frame it as uncompensated labor in a way. 
Right. It gets really complicated and the university kind of exploits this complication. So they sometimes try to describe graduate students as being apprentices. So our work in the classroom or our work doing research is we are learning, right, how to be professionals in our craft of English, of sociology, of biology, whatever it is that we're doing. Um, And yet, again, they're asking us to teach courses that the university is getting well paid for. Um, They're asking us to perform these basic functions that are inherent to the university's operation. And yet thinking about, right, fairly compensating us has never been part of that equation for them. Yeah, that's just really interesting because I think about like, like I think about grad students and adjuncts are kind of in this similar, like exploitative space where they're like unpaid or they're not fairly paid. They are paid. They're not unfairly paid especially when you think about how much students are paying for these classes, they're going to be paying for these classes for 30 plus years that they're taking from you because they're so expensive. Um, And there's no collective voice saying, you know, let's rethink how this labor model works uh, in a way that's healthy for everybody because we need these classes taught. Um, Students need to take these classes. People, you know, we need people to teach these classes. We need this research done. Like, what's a healthy model where we um, treat people with equity and respect, but also um, meet the needs of the university? Like, how do we collectively do that? Because even if one person negotiates some sort of whatever, the system remains unchanged. And the university... I mean, grad students, adjuncts, and even untenured staff face lots of issues. And they, I know there's a drive to work on unionization at those levels as well. Do you see that that, that could be helpful at many levels, right? Right. I do think that that could be helpful at many levels. That's part of why we've been staying connected to faculty who are making initial steps toward uh, unionization, why we stay in touch with, you know, the folks with AAUP at the university. This is why, you know, we really are trying to connect really across the university because unionization would really benefit us at the adjunct level, at the faculty level. Um, We really want to build our support far and wide, Um, you know, and just to follow up on your point about adjuncts, Melody, I was an adjunct instructor when I, right out of my master's degree, I remember being paid as little as two grand a course. Um, and, and, and while yes, uh, technically now I am a teaching assistant, right? I'm gaining experience here at the university. I'm the instructor of record for the courses I teach. I am nobody's assistant. I am the instructor of record. Uh, we have a two, two load in English, meaning we teach two classes for our stipend, um, unless we have a course release for working in the writing center or being the assistant director of composition or some other high level role where you're doing lots of labor as well. Um, And so, yeah, I'm, I'm nobody's assistant. It's not that I'm just gaining experience. I am teaching those lucrative courses myself. That's a really good clarification. I think our listeners will really appreciate that. Um, Tell us a little bit about your commitment drive. You've used that term, but you might want to tell me what that means and how's it going. (laughs) 
Our commitment drive started off as a, a way to uh, sort of mimic the legal unionization process. So the first step towards becoming a legally recognized union is that you circulate a petition and you need 30% of workers in your units that be other graduate student workers to sign on to that. And that triggers a vote for unionization. And so with the commitment drive, the interest was in seeing essentially how many graduate students can we reach? As we've spent the last couple of years growing and finding each other and um, starting to try and put some pressure on the university to become more, um, to come stronger together, uh, we wanted to see, right, does that strength extend to being able to find people across campus? And UNL actually, uh, we forget, but it has two campuses. So uh, many of us are located on city campus, but there's also an east campus that has many graduate student workers there. And so with this, it was essentially um, a survey tool to see how many people we could reach uh, and why we're doing this, we are also building connections. So we're giving people a chance to provide us input about what's important about grad workers coming together. What are the kind of things that matter most to you? Um, we're seeing uh, where do we have sort of the strongest representation within different departments. And so it's a really useful tool, right, for kind of assessing where is it that we're at um, in terms of our current strengths um, and how do we get to sort of this end goal of becoming legally recognized as a collective bargaining unit? Yeah, and I think I'd also like to add in that this commitment drive has been a really great way to activate our members, right? We've, uh, we've really worked to get the word out collectively about who is unionized UNL. We went to the graduate student assembly and went to their open forum and said that the cost of living was $28,825 and that we knew no one in the room made that much. We talked about the wins other graduate student unions have made for better, for better health care, for lower student fees, and that we could do similar work here at UNL and fielded a number of questions that folks within the graduate student assembly had. We wrote a letter to the editor to the Daily Nebraska skin, uh, where we linked our commitment survey to get the word out about us. And we even asked that primary undergraduate population who reads um, the Daily Nebraskan, ask the, ask the graduate workers in your life how much money they make and if it's enough, right? And, you know, we, we, those of you who are listening to us, you won't see what I'm going to hold up, but we even made a, a unionized UNL zine. We, we started a commitment committee, folks in the union who had been showing up to lots of meetings and wanted to get really involved. And one of our projects was creating this zine. We, we have on here what a union is, that it's two or more workers who come together to improve working conditions. We have- Can I pause real quick? Yeah. That is so important. I'm in a union, but my parents were never in a union and my grandparents weren't in a union. You'd have to go back- you know, farther than that in some cases. And I'm 42. So I know like the new colleagues I have coming in, they don't have any experience with unions and they don't even know the possibilities of what yeah. can happen in an economy if we do this. So I'm glad you included that. And I just want to say that for our listeners, but please keep going. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We need more. What else is in your zine? <laughs> we need more union education. There's been a huge yeah. anti-union pushback in this yep. country. And so we need folks to even know what a union is. That's why we start there, right? 
two or more workers who come together to improve working conditions. Then we have a, a steps to unionizing uh, that, you know, the first step is filling out the commitment survey, survey that then we would petition uh, to get to 30%. We would need 50% to, uh, to legally unionize, and then we would have our union. So we were educating folks on what does it take to build a union? What are the, what are the steps even? Uh, then we had a fact sheet on the cost of living, which I've already detailed to you all. And then just some of the benefits of unionizing, like a living wage, community and solidarity, better health care, lower student fees with a link on the back for how to get involved, how to connect to us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And so we put these in mailboxes. We, we put up flyers across the university with our QR code so people could get the survey that way and hear, hear a little bit more about us. We canvassed to different departments. Um, Roz especially made it a point to reach out to departments that are not well represented within our collective already. We have a lot of folks in the humanities from city campus uh, in our union, but we needed to uh, get out there to reach more folks in STEM and we want to connect further with folks on the East Campus in the future. So uh, this commitment drive has really just been a great way to put ourselves out there and to really energize the members we already have and engage them uh, in this work. So it's been, it's been a really exciting experience so far. Other um, groups of grad students at other universities have been successful in a drive like this. Would this be a first or one of a few or, you know, what's the... This would be the first. As far as I know, although um, grad students have been grumbling to each other about unionizing for, for decades, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, as far as I know, this effort towards unionization, which began in uh, 2017 around, um, I'm sure folks on this podcast and some of our listeners know about what happened with the violation of uh, Courtney Lawton's, um, you know, um, academic freedom on campus in which as a graduate student instructor, um, she was removed for rightfully protesting on campus. And so um, we started kind of talking at that point in time. And so we've never even gotten this far. The fact that we have a group of people that consistently meet about 20 people that consistently get together to work um, towards unionization. We have an email list of now almost 300 graduate students that we're reaching. And so uh, this is uh, exciting because it's, again, the farthest we've gotten towards having a recognized graduate union. That's great. Um, so what are your you know, plans moving forward? What's, what do you look forward to in the future? Yeah, absolutely. We have some, we definitely have some work to do, uh, but we're excited to take it on. We're really going to try to build strength on the East Campus, really get to know folks on East Campus. We don't know a lot of folks there. We want to connect further with STEM, math, science, um, agricultural fields. We have a, a lot of strength in English and psychology and in the humanities. So we need to keep uh, connecting with folks outside those realms. Um, we're going to continue to canvas, but we have some other exciting things uh, that we're thinking about. We want to start a union reading group uh, so we can focus on member education and community building. Uh, we want to 
bring in new leaders, right? Uh, some of our leaders are graduating. We have a lot of engaged members. So, you know, hopefully new leaders coming into the fold. Uh, and we really want to be thinking about how to organize in non-hierarchical structures, right? How can we really make sure that anyone who's active in the union, who's engaged, who's passionate and fired up can be in a leadership position and we can share in this work together. Roz, what else are we up to? We're also, like we said, we've been spending this time connecting and through that connecting, building our strength. And so we wanna start testing that. Um, one of our goals is to start talking with those departments in which we have a large percentage of graduate students on board about what are their concerns with their working conditions and help them um, do what a union does, find ways to exert pressure on their bosses to improve their working conditions. And so uh, we're starting to have those meetings and again, to start thinking about how we can make real changes. Because as Kathleen has said a few times, we are trying to be officially recognized uh, to have the state grant us collective bargaining power, but we are still a union because no matter what, as a group, we are here to support each other and to do whatever it takes to improve our working conditions. And so, you know, legal recognition and the right to collectively bargain and have a contract, that's one tool. And that's a really important tool because it has that legal backing to it, but that's not the end of what we can do for each other and how we can, uh, again, put pressure on administration, on our bosses in order to improve our working conditions. That is so inspiring. <laughs> and I, as someone who's involved in their union, not at the highest levels in any way, but I can tell all our listeners, it is a heck of a lot of work. These two and anybody else working with them, it's like another job and top on top of their teaching. And then however else you're making money to pay your bills since it doesn't pay your bills. So kudos, like, and I hope that the other people appreciate what you're doing. Um, you know, here at Seeing Red, we are, as I think Melody alluded to, we are super supporters of unions. Um, and I think one of the things, and I hope you guys can speak to this too, but <clears throat> when we talked about that loss of like that collective memory of unions and what they can do and what they've done in the past and all they've brought us today is that it has an enormous impact on the economy in favor of workers when you're unionized. And so in my opinion, I'm like, if you have access to a union, you better join that union. <laughs> it's, it's practically a civic duty for real, because, right? Because that saying that rising, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? You join your union, I join my union, my husband joins his union, he doesn't have one. They broke his union, which was really fun. Uh, <laughs> um, it, but it really does have an impact. You know, what if his union, it was a television station at the time, what if his union had been able to bring another station into the union instead of being broken? And then there's no places to go where you have union protections, right? And the type of things that they fought for in his union, it was like a television station, right? So it was like, if you get called back to breaking news in less than 12 hours from the time you left work, you get paid double time. I think if you don't get to go to sleep, yeah, you should get double time for breaking news or um, a negotiating that, so that everyone can actually have time off around the holidays, right? Like the news never stops, but you got to take 
a rest. You've got to be able to celebrate. I don't know. What do you guys think about that idea of unionization and helping everyone? Anything you wanted to add? Well, you know, I, I'd love to share just a little bit about, you know, I moved here from Chicago. And so right before the pandemic, that fall before we had the teachers went on strike, the Chicago Teachers Union. And I saw the Chicago Teachers Union folks and SEIU, SEIU were the support staff on campus, right? Your, um, your bus drivers, your cafeteria workers, your cross guards, right? I saw them go on strike together, right? And Solidarity. Shut down Chicago. Shut down Chicago. We marched through through the streets of the city. Community members joined in. Now that's civic engagement. That that's some that's some real civic engagement. That 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 is it. That and, and you should join your union, right? That I I was just blown away by the solidarity I saw, the changes that were they were able to make with that collective power, right? Um, there weren't librarians in the libraries, okay? There weren't social workers in the schools, mm. okay? There, the, the folks, and I, I was really especially heartened to see the solidarity between SEIU and the teachers union because the support staff were making very, very low wages. Yeah. And so it was important for the teachers to stand in solidarity with them. And they, they, pushed and pushed on the mayor for more, again, more social workers, more folks, um, more support staff in the schools. And they were able to win some of their demands, but they were only able to do it through the collective power because the powers at B are, you know, they're against us. And we can only fight that when we work together. And I've seen it work and so I've seen the power of unions. And again, just to go back to it, that's why I'm a part of this. So, so I was reading um, the Lincoln Journal Star this morning. I get the actual paper. Can you hear rustling of my actual newspaper <laughs> that I'm going to read from? And uh, they're talking about inflation. And everybody's talking about inflation right now. And I'm bringing this up because one of the things about unions, it's unions fight for workers to get a higher piece of the pie. Like they should share in the profitability of the company, right? And so there's all this conversation happening right now about inflation. And at the same time, we're seeing places like Kellogg's and we can't have a union conversation without talking about Kellogg's, which has a huge factory in Omaha. And they just were hugely successful in raising worker pay. Okay. But this is what businesses are doing. So I'm going to read about this inflation piece. And it says, you know, businesses like Kellogg's, okay, faced with higher costs that threaten their profits, have been raising prices with the expectation that people will pay more. And this helped profit margins surge in 2021 to their highest levels in more than a decade. So let's be clear, that's just across the economy that we mm -hmm. are seeing record-breaking profits while people, individual families, are having record-breaking hardships. Mm -hmm. And who's fighting for them? Right. Because 
Because the only group, the only advocacy kind of group that would fight for you is a union. Mm-hmm. And the Chamber of Commerce, um, the association of whatever business group <laughs> that you may belong to um, or that exists in the tapestry of advocacy groups, they're all fighting for the businesses. They're all fighting for businesses to have the highest profits available. And we are mm-hmm. living in a world, and I said this on last week's pod too, where right in Omaha, we have a company that is, they know they're building in a place that has mm-hmm. high cost of living. And so in response to that, instead of paying living wages, they're offering- To match the cost of living. Yeah, they're <laughs> offering company housing, which by the way, they're not even letting you live there for free. They're letting you live there- um for rent. To rent, yeah. which, which they are building equity on. So, and again, like, collective memory, right? It, do you know what happened in the Great Depression? People were moving into company housing and then they couldn't leave. And then they were stuck owing the company for the groceries at the company store. Like, we're not going exactly. backwards, people. This so, is not what we're going to do. I want to add to, because you talked about record-setting profits. And these ladies in this grad program and myself and social workers stuff, we're not in profit-making businesses. However, record-breaking profits means the state could be levying record-breaking taxes to pay for these essential things that our community needs, like a land-grant university, like public schools, like transportation, and they should be. That's the point. Circle. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'd add that yeah. the university is actually a very profitable business. UNL is one of the few universities across the country that didn't see a decline in enrollment over the pandemic. Uh, either way, uh, okay, university makes <laughs> very is a, a lot of money. But what y'all are saying is so important because it points out that, right, profits aren't made because uh, companies get better. They're made because it's stolen money from workers. They're made yes. because the minimum wage hasn't gone up in 15 years. Yes. You either fight for your mm-hmm. piece or they just give it to the Right, to the, the, the stockholders. To the executive board and all of the people with the C's in yeah. front of their names. And that's it. And so, um, yeah. you know, it's so important to point out that a uh, these are problems that are created by like the greed of a very few at the top rather mm-hmm. than anything that workers are demanding. Absolutely. So one thing I know we're like heading into our final questions here, but one thing I just want to say is we know that one of the best ways to spring yourself forward in life is through education, right? We know education is just the backbone of everything, right? And so whether you want to build a new skill, broaden your horizons, um, move up to a higher economic class, like education can help you get there. And so we know, you know, one of the things that I think is important to me personally about, even though um, I'm not directly impacted by whether or not grad students at the university unionize or not, right? But, But I know indirectly, right? People that are graduate students now, they will be leaders in industry when they graduate because they will have the credentials and the career expertise from one of the best universities in the country, the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And, you know, I believe that. And so that means if they've had a great union experience now 
when they're in college, that means they're going to take that union experience and that positive feeling into their leadership roles going forward. And they're going to be able to pass that on to workers in their future careers. And they're going to be leaders in those careers because we know education leads to those types of outcomes. And so I think that is the reason I think it should be important to everyone that, you know, people that are in graduate school are unionizing. Um, And it just, it will have an impact on everyone around the country. You know, the more that that happens. Imagine if you and all you guys, you know, pulled this off. Imagine what other college graduate workers are going to do, right? Like that's, one of the most exciting things about this and whether you, I really hope you guys achieve collective bargaining status. I really do. If you don't, I, I think it's super awesome and inspiring that you guys are still being a union for each other. And that's also really important. And it's what I hope brings people to your cause. Well, I would like to ask you to people who would like to emulate your work in their own spaces, because we know that, All things start at the most local level, right where you are. Just look around and see what you can do in your own space. If if somebody is inspired by what you guys are doing, what would you recommend for them to get started? What is the very, very first step? The first step is always to, to talk to your coworkers. So people don't, don't know how strong they are together. They don't know what's possible for them. And so the way that um, we find that strength, the way that we build it, if we're not there yet, is through the connections that we make with other people that are in similar situations. And I think the more you have the co- that conversation, the more you realize that even as our work varies, that as workers, we actually have a lot more in common, that you know we are far more united. And so I think the very first thing to do is to start talking about what what is good in your workplace and what is not good in your workplace? What would you change if you could tomorrow? And when you start thinking about those issues and talking with them with other people, it becomes clear, right, how important those changes are, how meaningful it would be to enact those changes. And it it inspires people, it gets the ball rolling. So again, the first thing we can do is always to be building connections. And I think, you know, to piggyback off that in terms of building connections, the next step would be to realize that you are not alone, that there is a wave of grad workers unionizing right now across the nation, and they are more than happy to speak to you. I wrote a a paper on unionization at the end of my spring semester in part with the union in mind, trying to think through what our next steps might be. And I reached out to quite a few graduate student unions across the country who were so gracious with their time, conducted interviews with me, answered all my questions. I want to give a special shout out to the University of New Mexico grad workers who are going through their fight right now and had so much advice to give us. Uh, The community is, is big and you are not alone. And there's so many grad worker unions out there who would be more than happy to help you out. And that would include us. Um, Guys make me feel better about the world. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Agreed. um, Okay. So last question. 
Um, we've had so many great questions tonight. What are you reading in all the extra spare time that you have? <laughs> well, I just finished Emma Goldman's autobiography, Living My Life. Uh, it's about 550 pages. I read it pretty slowly over the course of this past year. But Emma Goldman uh, was a radical anarchist activist here in the United States around the turn of the century. She had an amazing life. She put her life on the line for the workplace rights that many of us have today, though we could use quite a few more. We need to fight like her for, for more, and that's what Roz and I are trying to do. Uh, Emma Goldman, you know, was in Russia right after the revolution. I mean, she was just a brilliant thinker. And one of my favorite lines of hers is, uh, if I can't dance, it's not my revolution. So she really uh, was all for doing the work, but also that radical joy that our spirits need to keep going with this fight. So I would highly recommend uh, that book. Fascinating uh, on a historical level, but also just to lift your spirits to engage in this work. I'll also add another thing about uh, Emma Goldman a lot of people don't know is that she was really instrumental in um, getting the birth control movement in the U.S. developed in the turn of the 20th, uh, so like the start of the 20th century. She had a really instrumental role in introducing European ideas about birth control to the U.S. And so um, people like Margaret Sanger, for example, who everyone's heard of. Uh, as the founder of Planned Parenthood, obviously had her issues, but she was inspired by Emma Goldman. Cool. Yeah. Uh, as for what I'm reading, um, I'm leaning into joy and silliness with my free time. And so I'm reading the Lord of the Rings trilogy for the first time. <laughs> I'm about 350 pages into Fellowship and I am loving it. I've seen the movie, honestly, an embarrassing number of times. <laughs> I hadn't read the books yet. And so <laughs> Here we are. And it's been really, really wonderful to just kind of relax. Um, my new favorite time every week is my Tolkien in the tub time, which is <laughs> in the tub. Melody also likes to read in the tub. I am a librarian and I do not read. I'm like, no, I don't read in the tub. I'm <laughs> what? April does not no. read. There is a little joke that nobody reads less than a librarian because we're busy but <laughs> I you know what I have read all of the Lord of the Rings because I was dating my now husband and he really wanted me to <laughs> it's not my genre however I have not read all of the Harry Potters and that's my blasphemous librarian story <laughs> I bet your middle school students are unhappy when they hear that no it's it's a way for me to be scandalous with them so well, thank you, ladies, for coming on. This was a fantastic discussion. Good luck Just with what I your work. This week. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. This was a pleasure. We love the work you're doing. Keep it up. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska, Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, $10, or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com. <laughs>